This week, I want to talk about a facet of being a hero, whether in the Bible or in life, that probably doesn't get too much attention. If you want to be a hero, if you want to walk out this thing in life called your calling, there's one thing every hero has to be. You have to be crazy. And I want to talk today about one of my heroes in the Bible, Noah. And the title of this message is quite simple. Noah was crazy. (laughs) Let's read in Genesis chapter 6 together, starting in verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Here's where it gets crazy. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening above the roof all the way around the boat. Time out for a second. Do you realize there were no windows in the ark? There was a door and an 18-inch gap all the way around the top. Let me point something out. There weren't windows because I believe God might have been communicating to Noah. Noah, this ride is not about the view. I believe God was saying, listen, Noah, it's going to rain a whole lot. There's no need to look outside a window at the pouring down rain. I want you to keep your focus on the inside of this boat and on the one who does rain. So don't put any windows on the ark, Noah. Build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper, and then he gets firm. Look, almost to say, Noah, now believe me here. I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. And here's what's crazy to me about Genesis chapter six. We read the story of Noah and and we think, Noah was crazy. God, I am so glad you're not gonna ask me to build some oversized cruise ship for love-struck animals. (laughs) And you're right, God probably isn't going to ask you to build some oversized cruise ship for love-struck animals. But he has called you to build something. And here's the reality. What God has called you to build is going to look bigger to you than the ark did to Noah. And if you're going to be someone who builds it, you're going to have to be crazy. So let's look at a few things that Noah embodied that we need to walk in if we're going to walk out this crazy thing called our calling. Here's the first thing. Get comfortable with crazy. Get comfortable with crazy. Crazy is the word that those who are usually scared often call those filled with faith. Crazy is the word that the devil uses to describe you when God fills you with faith and you walk in it. 
There is nothing wrong with being called crazy under the right circumstances. When we're living a life filled with faith, there are many who will look at us and say, that's crazy, take it as a compliment. That's exactly what it is. I remember uh, when Pastor Robert took me to lunch a couple years ago and he said, it's time for you to leave Southlake and get ready to go to Scottsdale and, and start the first church plant. Uh, I wasn't ready for that information. I went home, I told my wife, and the first words out of her mouth were, babe, this is crazy. And we got a little overwhelmed at what was ahead of us. And as we were kind of sitting there together, overwhelmed at, at what was transpiring, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Preston, the first time I called you to Phoenix for college, it was so that I could give you your bride. I'm calling you back the second time so that I can give you mine. You're not crazy. And in a moment, I went from feeling crazy to feeling normal. Listen, if, if people are calling you crazy because you're walking in faith, you're in great company. The greatest hero in all of scripture was called crazy by his own family. Jesus in Mark chapter three, listen to this. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. His own family called him crazy. Why? Because they didn't understand his calling. Anyone that calls you crazy for walking out your calling is proving they do not understand the scope of your calling. Don't ever let the opinion of the uninformed majority become your focus. And too many times the enemy uses the vocal chatter of the uninformed majority to taunt us. But listen, remind yourself and your enemy, you're in phenomenal company when that majority calls you crazy. If you're gonna walk out your calling, you need to be comfortable with crazy. Here's the second thing, count on confirmation. If you're gonna walk out this calling, count on confirmation. Confirmation is God's memorably creative way of repeating something he's already told you. Confirmation is, in this season of my life, where this, this is the craziest season. I mean, imagine leaving all of this and going and starting all over again the way we did 12 years ago. It, on some levels, it's crazy to me. I can't wrap my mind around it other than I know God wants to do something in Scottsdale and God wants Gateway Church to be a part of it. But it's crazy to me. And confirmation is a gift God gives us on the days where the circumstances might make us feel crazy. There are gonna be days if you walk out this calling where the circumstances seemingly point to the fact that you have made the wrong decision by walking out your calling. But God gives us confirmation to rescue us on difficult days. When I was 14, I felt like the Lord told me what I was gonna do with my life. Uh, and I felt, kind of like Joseph did, I thought, well, Lord, surely the reason that you're telling me this at 14 is so that I'll walk in confidence all of my life. 
So I made the unbelievably bright decision to become extremely overconfident. I became the most overconfident person that I knew. 20 years later, and now walking out the first few steps of that calling, I now know God doesn't give us confirmation for the sake of confidence. He does it for the sake of conviction. God doesn't give us confirmation so that we can be overconfident on the way to the palace. God gives us confirmation so that we will never become unconvinced in the bottom of the pit. One of my definitions for the word shallow is to be overconfident and under convicted. Joseph shed his shallowness in a deep pit and found his true depth because it was there God showed him. This calling is not about the platform, it's about the people. And Joseph was convinced. He got confirmation. Noah, God says to Noah in Genesis 6:18, I will confirm my covenant with you. Now this is before Noah had even started building the boat. I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Here's the thing, God says to Noah before he starts building the boat, I'm gonna confirm my covenant with you. But he doesn't confirm his covenant until Genesis nine after the storm is totally over. Was God saying to Noah, now listen, I'm gonna ask you to be crazy. I'm gonna ask you to build this huge boat and everybody's gonna make fun of you. And I'm not gonna give you confirmation until the story is all over. No, that's not what God was saying. God was saying, I'll confirm my covenant to you after this is all over. Is it possible that Noah got confirmation all along the way? Yes. Listen, think about this. The rainbow in Genesis 9 was the confirmation of God's covenant with Noah, but the fact that it actually rained was the confirmation of God's calling Noah. Noah got confirmation all along the way. Think about it. God says to Noah, fill a boat with all the animals on the earth. Do you think Noah actually knew all the animals on the earth? He probably knew like 12. Let's see, there's the kangaroo, there's the rhinos, there's the beluga whale, that's my favorite one. The, maybe 50 animals, there's no way he knew all the animals. Here's how we know, God tells them, they'll all come to you. Don't you think it was a little bit of confirmation one day, Noah might have been walking down the street, <laughs> taking a break from building the boat, and he sees a rhinoceros walk across the street. And 50 yards later, walking down the same street, he sees a rabbit hop across the street. If I'm Noah, I start thinking, God, how is this gonna work? How am I gonna put a rhino and a rabbit next to each other and this rhino not kill one of the rabbits? Don't you think it was a little bit of confirmation when Noah saw the rhinos following the rabbits up the ramp and then giving each other personal space? <laughs> the rhino looks at the rabbit and said, here, go ahead, this is your spot. It had to be confirmation to Noah. How about this? How did the door of the ark get closed? 
Genesis 7, after we see the last animal comes onto the boat. Verse 15, two by two they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes, a male and female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. I guarantee it was confirmation when God closed that door. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time God closed the door on you and instead of crying, you celebrated the fact that it was confirmation? Let me talk to those of you who maybe you're a little frustrated with God because he just closed the door in your face. Let me remind you about how sweet your God is. God never closes a door on you to keep you from enjoying paradise. God closes doors to keep you from drowning in the rain on the other side. Celebrate the fact that God closes the door. I'm sure Noah was looking at this door going, how in the world are we gonna close this? And just then, it closes. And, And here's some more confirmation. The door closes and on the same day, it starts pouring rain. Listen, you may be feeling like God's not giving you confirmation. Maybe you need to reevaluate what kind of confirmation you're looking for. If you're constantly waiting on rainbows, you're missing all of the little fun confirmations all along the way. They're everywhere. We get confirmation all the time. But if you're holding out for a rainbow, you're probably missing the rhinos and the rabbits peacefully walking up the ramp. Jesus, uh, he was someone that completely enjoyed confirmation. He would walk up to someone and he would, I think he would like to just play with people every once in a while and they'd be thinking something and he'd just confirm that he was the Messiah by saying, hey, I know what you're thinking right now. Let me just tell you. And then they were blown away. Why? Confirmation is encouraging. Now, if you haven't gotten confirmation from the Lord in a while, and you'd say, Preston, how do I get confirmation from the Lord? Let me give you a piece of advice. Let me give you something not to do, okay? Never look at a coincidence and call it a confirmation. Coincidence is something that any man can manipulate. Confirmation is something only God can reveal. But see, here's what we do. We start reaching for coincidences to call them confirmations when we keep wishing God would give us what our flesh keeps waiting to receive. Never look at a coincidence and call it a confirmation. Uh, We're looking for a house in Scottsdale. We've been looking for quite some time. Uh, The last couple of homes we've lost Uh, It's a crazy market right now. Not many homes for sale. People are getting 30 and 40 offers on their homes to the point that listing agents are saying, we're not taking any more offers. The last couple of houses that we've fallen in love with, we've lost to all cash offers that have gone for almost 10% above the listing price. So my wife was talking to a realtor and she said, well, the Lord's gonna make it obvious which house is ours in the same way that he keeps making it obvious all of the ones that are not. <laughs> and our realtor said, that, that reminds me of a funny story. He said, you know, I, I've sold multi-million dollar homes and I've sold $100,000 homes. And he said, there was one time where I, I was selling a, a, 
less expensive home to a real sweet Christian couple. And it was in a really bad neighborhood. And he said, I would never let anybody live in this neighborhood because of safety. And, and someone had come into this home and kind of flipped it and made it look nicer than it really was. And so they're touring the home and the wife just falls in love with the home. And they're, they're going through every room and, and man, you know how your wife does when you're looking for a new house. It, it's like Jesus is in every room. Well, they go into the garage and there's a picture of Jesus in the garage. And the wife goes in and she says, honey, look at this. God is trying to tell us we need to buy this house. Jesus is confirming this is our house. Honey, do you see this? Jesus is telling you we need to buy this house. And our realtor looked her right in the face and he said, uh, ma'am, I believe Jesus is telling you, you need to open that garage door and run straight for the hills. Don't buy this house. <laughs> but that's what we do. We look for confirmation, but when we don't think we're getting it, we start to reach towards coincidence and call it godly confirmation. It will never work. So here's the question. How do I ensure that I live a life that gets to open up the gift of confirmation constantly. Simple answer, obedience. That brings us to the, second, the third point. Don't settle for sort of. Don't settle for sort of. Confirmation is a gift that is most often opened by the obedient. And listen to what kind of a man Noah was in Genesis 6:19. God says, bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Preston, wait a second. You're about to go down this road on obedience. Now I love Jesus and, I, and I'm all in with Jesus. But, but I kind of draw the line on this, this obedience thing. I mean, you read verses like you just did where it says God commanded Noah. Well, well that makes me think, you know, God's kind of like a, a dictator and I don't want to serve a dictator. Listen to me for a moment, please. Please stop looking at commands as orders that close doors you wish would open and start seeing commands as opportunities to open doors you never imagined would. God says, listen, if you'll do it my way, I will bless you. I will take better care of you than you could take for yourself, but you have to do it my way. I want you to think about something. Think about this for a moment. God gives Noah the blueprint for this divine mode of transportation, but there's something missing in this boat. Can you guess what it is? A steering wheel. Nowhere in scripture does it mention there is a rudder or any type of steering mechanism for this boat. Let me tell, tell you why I believe that's the case. I believe this was a blueprint. The ark wasn't a blueprint for Noah's boat. It was a blueprint for our lives. God created our lives to be sanctuaries where hurting people could come and find salvation through Jesus Christ. God created our lives to be a place where people would find safe refuge. God says, listen, Noah, do you know where you're going? 
I'm sure Noah said, God, I have no idea. Well, Noah, do you know how to get there? No, God, I I really don't know how to get there. Well, Noah, let's make a deal. Since you don't know where you're going and you don't know how to get there, why don't we leave the steering wheel out of this blueprint? Because Noah, if I give you a steering wheel, you're gonna be tempted to steer in the opposite direction I tell you at the first sign of choppy seas. So Noah, let's leave the steering wheel out of the boat. Do you want a piece of wonderful advice if you struggle sleeping at night? Rip the steering wheel out of your boat and throw it out the window. There is nothing more stressful than trying to figure your own way through life, trying to find your way to a finish line you don't even know where it is. God not only knows where it is, he's the one that put it there. And if we'll just let him have control of the boat. Even though it's a great storm on the outside, it will be peaceful on the inside because God will make sure you get to the right place at exactly the right time. People ask all the time, why why is Gateway so blessed? What what is it about Gateway Church? What what did Pastor Robert do uh, that made Gateway so blessed? And I've heard so many answers over the last 12 years, but let me boil all of those answers down to, to what I believe is the real answer to this question. Why has God blessed Gateway Church? I'll tell you why. Because Pastor Robert has built a boat without a steering wheel. I have seen time and time again behind the scenes over the last 12 years where someone on the outside with an incredible opportunity either for Pastor Robert or our church has come quickly and a little forcefully and said, listen, you don't have much time to make this decision. It's a great opportunity for you and or the church. You need to make this decision now. We need to know by the end of the day. And I have seen Pastor Robert and the elders time and time again respond essentially like this. Uh, see, the thing is, uh, there's no steering wheel on this boat. We would love to steer in your direction, but you know, we need to consult with the GPS and see where this is going. So we're going to take a couple of days. I know you're in a hurry. And, and if you need to make a decision, go ahead and make it without us. God will take care of us on the other side, but we're going to take a couple days and we're going to pray about it. And then we'll come back to you and let you know what the Lord says time and time again. I have seen our senior pastor and our elders make the decision to never not only touch the steering wheel, but never even install one in this boat called Gateway Church. And I believe God looks at a boat like that and says, really, I get to steer it? Well, how about I steer it in a way you never thought possible? How about I cause this to land in a place where you have dreamt of landing every morning since you were a child. Let me steer your boat. Not only will I take care of your storms, I will give you all the desires of your heart. And God blesses any man or woman who will build a boat like that. John 15, 14, when we talk about commands and obedience, Jesus says something that really stands out. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Listen to me, obedience is so much easier than any other tactic of navigation. 
Obedience is so much better than your best strategy to get wherever you think you're going. Obedience is the way not only to honor God, but to live the crazy faith-filled life that deep down we all dream of living. And that brings us to the fourth thing that Noah did that we need to do if we're gonna walk out our calling. Savor the sacrifice. Savor the sacrifice. If you're going to live this crazy life of faith, it's going to require crazy sacrifices. Look at what happens with Noah after the storm is over and the water recedes in Genesis 8:18. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. Why was Noah's sacrifice so romantic to God? I mean, think about this. God had already told him what he was allowed to sacrifice, which of the animals he could sacrifice. God already knew what the sacrifice was going to be. Now, ladies, it would be kind of like your husband giving you a gift and you already know what it's gonna be. You know, sometimes you have to kind of conjure up that excitement, you know, because it ruins the surprise. You already know it's coming. God already knew the surprise was coming. Why was Noah's sacrifice so romantic to God? Let me give you something to think about. Is it possible that what you sacrifice to God is far less important than when and why? Think about this. Noah just spent countless years building this crazy big boat to save all these animals. And the first thing Noah does when he gets off the boat, rather than look around at this great new opportunity, listen, the whole earth belonged to Noah. There was no one else to share land with. And rather than get excited about this great new opportunity, Noah chose to get off that boat and instead of look around, Noah looked up. The first thing Noah does, rather than look at his new opportunity, was look up and thank God for his faithfulness in getting him to that place. And he sacrificed. When I was very, very young, uh, I asked the Lord for three children. I asked him for uh, one girl and two boys in that order. And I asked him if I could have the two boys very close to each other. Well, I have a nine-year-old daughter and I have a six-year-old son and a five-year-old son. And a couple months ago, I was asking the Lord, I was just thanking him for all of the blessings and you know, you just have those days where you're so overwhelmed at what all God's done. And I was thanking him for everything I could think of and I said, Lord, why, why did you give me that? You, you could have given me three sons and I would have been completely happy. Why did you give me exactly what I asked for? And his answer scared me a little bit. He said, Preston, the season you're about to walk into is going to be the most sacrificial season of your entire life. And on the days where the enemy convinces you 
that you've given up too much. I wanted to give you something so that on that day, you could walk into their bedroom and be reminded of the fact that no matter what I've asked you to give up, what I have given you in return far exceeds what you have sacrificed. And I want you to hear me. You need to hear this. If you don't hear anything else in this message, please hear this. Whatever you end up having to sacrifice to God will pale in comparison to what God does in response. You might be saying, Preston, I can't wait to sacrifice. I can't wait to have commands and the opportunity to be obedient. I can't wait for confirmation and the opportunity to even be called crazy. But Preston, God hasn't given me my blueprint yet. What do I do? Let me give you a suggestion. Find someone else to whom God has given a blueprint for their boat and help them build theirs. And in doing so, you will show God that by being willing to build their boat, you are ready to build yours. This entire message has been about one word. That one word is crazy. The Greek word for crazy is existemi. Existemi has two main definitions. The first definition is to lose one's mind. The second definition is to astonish greatly. Do you know what that means? That means that all of these years that God has been telling you to walk out this crazy calling and the enemy has been taunting you, telling you, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. You can't do this. This calling's too big for someone like you. That's impossible. You have lost your mind. This is what it means that at the very time that your enemy is using the word existemi to taunt you, that your God is using the exact same word to encourage you by saying, sweetheart, you haven't lost your mind. If you'll hold my hand all the days of your life, you and me, we're gonna do some crazy big things that astonish this world greatly. So how about it? Why don't the two of us get crazy? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to hear the Lord today calling you to a life of crazy faith. Maybe you've never given your heart to Christ and, and you want to live this crazy life of faith. You need to know step one in the life of crazy faith is to give your heart to Christ. In a moment, we're going to have altar ministry workers here down at the altar when I'm done praying. If you haven't given your life to Christ, today is the perfect day to do so. You want to live a life where you don't even have words to describe it? Give your life to Christ. What he'll do with your life in his hands will be far better than anything you can ever do with your two hands. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, but 
you're sick and tired of normal. You read stories of biblical heroes and you want to be a hero. Today's your day to get crazy. When I'm done praying, if you feel right now the Holy Spirit prompting you to take a bold step towards a new chapter of life called crazy faith, when I'm done praying, I'm going to ask you to come forward and I'm going to ask you to unite your faith with our altar ministry workers here so that they can send you out with more faith. God didn't create you to be normal. God created you to be crazy. And God, I pray for every person here, Lord, help them. If they need to come forward for ministry, no matter what it's for, give them the boldness to do so. If they've never given their lives to Christ, I pray that you would give them the courage and the crazy faith to come forward and give control of their life to you. And for those that need to turn their back on normal and embrace the crazy faith-filled life, Give them the boldness and the faith to come forward and start that new chapter in Jesus' name, amen.